welcome in everybody to the eighth edition of the Sports Roundtable on this April the 9th, 2019, being brought to you by Three Guys Fitness in Reedsville. Mention you heard this ad on 96.7 and receive $5 off your initial membership fee by Shortcuts in Morgantown with a $12 haircut on Tuesdays. And by Brouhaha, where the coffee beans are brewed in-house and the coffee is delicious. Today we're talking about the national title game, the Virginia Cavaliers winning their first national title in their history. And then we'll be talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates and their 4-0 series sweep against the Cincinnati Reds last weekend with a little bit of interesting action happening on Sunday afternoon's games, two players of which already suspended, announced today by the MLB. And with that, I want to bring in Kelly Gamble, the sports analyst set beside me. Kelly, how are you this evening? Always good, Aaron, and once again, always an honor and a pleasure to sit here with you and to to talk sports, uh, professional and, and mountaineer, uh, as well as college basketball and the national championship. So thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you here, Kelly. You really helped me out with us uh, bringing this uh, podcast higher and higher. And I just want to uh, get your opinion on the national title game. I know I originally picked Texas Tech to win it. And at one point in the national title game, it looked like Texas Tech had a run. I know at one point they were down by... They were down by a decent amount, and then they came back to a point to where they tied it, and then they went back behind again. Well, Texas Tech started off, you know, it was definitely a defensive battle from the beginning as I watched the entire game, and uh, Virginia jumped out to a 10-point lead. Texas Tech comes back and uh, actually took the lead again, and then uh, Virginia hits a three at at the half to go in by three. Uh, Virginia started the second half just like they did in the the beginning of the game and uh, went back out by 10. Texas Tech comes back again and makes a run. Uh, there's no doubt that Texas Tech represented the Big 12 well, and it looked at one point near the end of regulation as though Texas Tech might pull out that national championship. But uh, Hunter for Virginia ends up scoring 27 points. He didn't score a point in the first 18 and a half minutes of the game, finishes the game with 27 points, hits the huge three to tie the game for them to go to overtime. And Virginia became kind of like the cardiac kids. Uh, if you remember years ago, there was uh, teams that was called the cardiac kids, uh, NC State. And Virginia, throughout the tournament, uh, especially the last three games that they played, somehow found a way to win when it looked as though they was definitely going to be eliminated. Uh, So a team that went from a one seed last year as they was again this year, losing the first time ever that a number one seed last year's NCAA tournament lost to a 16. Uh, They turn it around this year, and they get redemption and win the national title. Uh, I am really big on Kyle Guy. I think that he's, he's a winner. Um, there's no doubt about it that they was definitely a guard-oriented team when it comes to points, Aaron. But uh, their big guys inside plays excellent defense. And one of the things about it was both teams within the national championship was defensive teams, and defense wins national titles. And there's no doubt that Tony Bennett took his coaching philosophy from his dad, Dick Bennett, who uh, took the Wisconsin Badgers to the Final Four. Um, and, you know, I, it was a great game. Uh, it was one of those games where you hated to see a team lose because both teams put forth maximum effort. Um, it's it's just – it was a great national championship, and uh, congratulations to uh, Coach Bennett and the Virginia Cavaliers on winning their first ever national title. Um, you know, that's the first time that they've had that opportunity since uh, Ralph Sampson, seven foot four, clear, clear back in the day in the 80s. 
Well, and I know I tweeted about that this morning about you hated to see a, see a team come out a loser on that. And unfortunately, Chris Beard's team did have to come out a loser. One team did have to lose that game. Hats off to Texas Tech for representing the Big 12 well and something that uh, the WVU men's basketball team can hang their hats on. Both times they played, uh, the two times that the, the one time at the WVU Coliseum that we played them and the time we played them in the Big 12 championship, the time in the Big 12 championship, we knocked off Texas Tech. And we also uh, came close to knocking them off early in January at the Coliseum. And if you don't, and if you remember, last season we knocked off Virginia at the Coliseum as well. And we kind of convincingly handled them last year. So, in a way, the Mountaineers have faced national championship level caliber teams and they've showed they can run with the big boys. One other final thing I do want to say is I think it was surprising. Granted, it went into overtime, but I want to say with um, with um, with the highest scoring as it was, I think it's shocking to see that both teams are the defensive-oriented teams they are, uh, not allowing teams to score points. That that the, that the score did get that elevated, even with it going into even going with it into overtime. Yeah. When you first started the game, again, you wondered if uh, either team was going to reach uh, double figures in the first uh, 10 minutes of the game because uh, I believe Texas Tech only scored seven to nine points or something like that in the first 10 minutes. So most of the scoring was done, uh, you know, they got hot from three. Uh, Culver started to penetrate and uh, looked very good, and more than likely uh, Jarrett Culver will probably not return to Texas Tech next year. He's a great athlete. He had a tough shooting night in the national championship, and uh, – Sometimes I think he started to rely on his jump shot whenever his uh, strength was actually penetrating and slashing to the basket. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt that Texas Tech put a, a team together that had, you know, Mooney came from uh, South Dakota. Uh, you had uh, the, the kid that transferred in to, from St. John's. Um, and they, they really put the, the team together. Uh, Coach Beard did a wonderful job. And you're right about the Mountaineers. Uh, the fact that they uh, almost became the last team that defeated uh, Texas Tech this season because Texas Tech almost went six and zero in the NCAA tournament. Uh, unfortunately, they unfortunate that they finished five and one, and again they had that three point lead, um, hoping to pull it off. But uh, Hunter uh, hits the big shot again. There was pen- uh, penetration and drive and kick to the corner. So uh, you know Virginia wins it in overtime. But yeah, West Virginia with a young team defeated Texas Tech, and you're right about the game earlier in Morgantown. If we would have made our foul shots in that game, we would have defeated Texas Tech then. However, we got to remember that Texas Tech really put it on us uh, whenever we went uh, down to Texas Tech. And uh, But the Mountaineers have something to look forward to next year with this young group, and even though they lost to uh, Coastal Carolina in the CBI tournament, uh, I think that there's pieces there uh, for Coach Huggins to look forward to and be excited about as they go on this uh, European trip again. I think that they have a really good opportunity to gel and to get some uh, time together um, over the off season, And I look forward to that trip as well as next season already for the Mountaineers and Coach Huggins. Well, one thing I want to do, reining it back into the national title game, is a lot of people, uh, do you think that call in overtime is what swayed that victory? Yeah, I've watched it so many times trying to see whether or not that that ball went off of Moretti. And we're talking about a situation where – um, Virginia goes up by two in the overtime. Moretti gets a steal. Uh, he's coming down the court. Uh, the ball was knocked out of his hands pretty much from behind. Uh, there's no doubt that the force uh, 
of that hand taking that ball out of bounds was definitely off of Virginia. But what they was looking at apparently was the fact that when he pushed that ball from behind at the fingertip, just a fingertip. Um, if I'm looking at it over and over just from my view from watching it on national TV, I could not tell you for a fact of whether that ball went off of his fingertips or not. But do I think that it was a crucial call in the game? Absolutely, because what happens is Virginia then gets the ball, as Texas Tech would have had the ball down two with a possibility to tie or go ahead by one. And then Virginia goes down, and Kyle Guy makes a nice shot. They go up by four. The momentum swayed definitely through that call. Uh, Most of the time they say that if you cannot determine, then you have to stay with the call on the court. The call on the court was that it was out of bounds off of Virginia. Um, so it was a tough one. I can't tell you for a fact. Um, you know, I'm sure that they had much better look at it than what you know we did on national TV at the monitors there uh, at the, on the sidelines. But definitely, and it took a long time, Aaron. It took a long time for them to come up with that call. And usually, if they take that much time, they're usually going to go back to the original call in the court. In this case, it didn't, and it definitely um, made a big impact on the game, no doubt about it. Definitely. And and then in the game against Auburn, there was another huge call that that I think really impacted the game of that call. Call or non-call? I think it was a non-call. I was looking at a double dribble prior to the foul before Cal Guy actually shot. Well, well either uh, way, it's it's the refs. Just sorry for me saying it the wrong way, but either way, it's right. still the refs non-call or right. their discretion of non-calling it. It's where I've always said it. I don't want to see a game that high up, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup Final. I don't want to see a referee be, the face, the, be, the, be yeah. the face of that game, essentially. It's the players play the game, and I think as it comes into a higher-impacted game, such as the higher games like the Super Bowls, etc., let them play. Well. Now, I mean, don't let it get out of hand, but let them play the game. And hats off to Auburn. Bruce Pearl was definitely very humble when he talked about it. He didn't say nothing bad towards the refs. He basically said hats off to Virginia, wished them luck, said the season that they had. And give credit to Bruce Pearl and how, how he handled the situation. Most coaches... I don't know if they would have done it the same way Bruce Pearl did. Well, I think the Auburn Tigers was the hottest team in college basketball coming down the stretch, and they even played that game without their leading scorer, again, who was injured and tore an ACL. But Auburn didn't let that affect them. Um, They have one of the quickest guards that I've ever seen in Harper. Uh, The kid just uh, has a motor that don't quit. Um, But Auburn played an excellent game as well. And and not only that game that Virginia played against Auburn that they pulled out, but the game previous to that against Purdue – one of the best individual performances that I have ever seen when it comes to that Purdue um, game with Virginia. Uh, the young man went off for 42 points, uh, a guard for Purdue, and you know I was just amazed at the at the kid's ability and, and the long-range shooting that he had, and he was just so clutch. And if you remember, it came down to the fact that Virginia had to intentionally miss a foul shot. Everything had to go right. The ball got tipped. Into the into the backcourt, they was able to come down, and uh, their big man actually uh, made a shot to put that game uh, into overtime, and Virginia pulled that one out as well. So Virginia pulls out three tight games. Um, whether or not the officiating uh, made the overall difference, they still had to make big shots. And that's what I'll say about Virginia. They found a way to win, and good t- teams find a way to win, and 
you know, in all honesty, Aaron, no matter what, uh, Virginia's players and coaching staff has nothing to do with those calls. So, you know, all they're taught to do is coach and play, and, and they played and still had to make big shots, uh, whether or not there was uh, any calls that influenced it or not. And I think that sometimes we we take too much emphasis on one particular call, which I understand can affect a game, but there's other calls throughout the game that goes both ways. And But the, it seems to me that all the attention, of course, is always paid uh, toward the end of a game when it comes down into the final minutes and final seconds. But there's always calls throughout the entire 40-minute game that a lot of people don't think about. We only think about what happens in those final seconds or those final minutes. So, you know, most of the time what they always say is it goes both ways and it plays itself out at the end. Definitely. And unlike I said, um, one thing I always believe in, I know I hate seeing the refs make an impact on the game that's so vital, but at the same time, luck. Not Luck, you gotta you got to play the game and you got to – if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, and Virginia done that in every chance they could. If, if they got hit with a call that was bad, they still found a way to overcome it. And if they got a good call, they took advantage of that Absolutely. and seized their opportunity. I want to move on now to the Pittsburgh Pirates. They came off. They, they just fell yesterday to the Chicago Cubs, opening day at Wrigley Field for the Chicago Cubs. Both starting pitchers went out very early in the game, both Jamison Tyon and Jonathan Lester. The Pirates were unable to still come back with a 10-0 deficit. But I really want to divulge into the four the four-game series sweep the Pirates done over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, sweeping the Reds for the first time at home in Pittsburgh in a four-game series since 1969, over 50 years ago, something a lot of people in this new generation of Pirates fans has never seen. And something I I was very to, to say the least quite unaware of, the Pirates won in Thursday's game a game of which which I attended. They won two zero, scoring a run late in the seventh inning, and again in the bottom of the eighth inning. And then Felipe Vasquez came in and closed it out in the ninth. And it was almost a repeat the same way on Friday's game, won, winning two to nothing in that game as well. And then Saturday's and Sunday's game were a little more tightly contested as the Pirates won on Saturday 6-5. to And then on Sunday 7-5 to where there was a little bit of interesting action in the top of the fourth inning where Derek Dietrich, who hit a home run, and he, I, I think he stared at it a little bit too long. When he hit that thing, he actually stood still and watched that thing tower out of PNC Park. And I'm not saying it's against an unwritten rule, but when you're not a home run hitter, and don't make, pay no mind to me, I'm not an MLB player, but I know from watching MLB players, Mike Trout can do that. Well, there's, it doesn't matter whether you're a home run hitter or you're not a home run hitter. If you're going to stand there and admire it, I'm just going to go back and be old school because I was born in 1969. So with that being said, I've seen the teams play in the 70s of the lumber company, and uh, I can just tell you that, Aaron, if someone is going to stand and admire a home run, you got to have morals uh, and ethics when it comes to baseball as well. And if you're going to admire that thing and you're going to stand in the batter's box that long and admire that home run, you can almost expect the fact that you're going to get a pitch thrown at you. Now, some people's going to say, well, how in the world, you know, you could hurt someone? Uh, you know, he threw it behind him. Uh, he didn't throw it directly at him, but I think he wanted him to understand that, look, you do not stand and admire something of that uh, whenever you hit a home run. You know, in all honesty, 
it really does bother me to this day that our generation has just gotten so much different. And I was taught as a, as a kid from my coaches in football, basketball, and baseball, act like you've been there before. You know, if you score a touchdown, hand the ball to the official. If you uh, make a game-winning shot or a big play in basketball, turn around and get back down the court or just go celebrate with your teammates. Don't, don't mock the other team. Don't gesture. Don't do anything that's going to um, do something to – to cause uh, these things. And in all honesty, uh, whether or not I'm a Pirates fan or not, which I've been my whole life, uh, if it was a Pirate that did the same thing, I would say the same thing. Do not admire it. Hit the ball. Get yourself around the bases. Get yourself back in the dugout and continue to play the game. Well, and by the way, Chris Archer, he did not throw at Derek Dietrich's head. He threw behind him, and if anything, it would have hit him on the lower half of the body. So he wasn't really pitching to hurt. He was pitching to put his point across at him to say, hey, don't do this. And when uh, when the Reds manager came out to argue it, it wasn't even uh, Derek Dietrich that really got involved in the scrap. It was Yasiel Puig who came over from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And by the way, Yasiel Puig was just handed down a two-game suspension today by the Major League Baseball. And Chris Archer was handed down a five-game suspension, essentially missing one of his starts. But either way, both of those players, those are the only two players that were suspended and that were directly involved with the game or directly involved with that scrap. Is Yossiel Puig was held by Josh Bell, held back by Josh Bell, and held back by his own teammate and Josh Bell at the same time, Joey Votto, over at the first baseline. And then he got away again. And I think it was Tom Prince it was. that stopped him from going after Archer a th- a third time, essentially, and I'm just surprised he just he just got a two game suspension with the antics he had on that field. I think that was something that that was uncalled for. It was almost the scrap was almost done at one point, but then all of a sudden he wanted to go and get that last it, word. In. It was mostly shoving and and words, but when it comes to Yasiel Puig, he's had a a history of being a little volatile and uh, having a little temper tantrum there and. Uh, and all honesty, again, these are men. They're they're not in little league, and you know, and even in little league, again, we should, as parents and coaches, teach our kids to have respect for the game, have respect for your uh, teammates, and have respect for your opponent. And with that being said, y'all see, old Puig, Puig's uh, antics was definitely um, not warranted. It never will be. And again, teams just need to learn, no matter what, go out there between the lines, play the game and play it to with morals, values, and ethics. Well, when that happened, the Pirates were down to the Reds. When that happened, they were down to the Reds at the time. Three, It was 3-3. Three to three. It was 3-3 three to three going in the bottom of the top of the fourth inning. And at the time, the Reds still had their starting pitcher in, and then they bring Josh Bell up to the plate. Josh Bell, by the way, who people are questioning if he has his power back, I think he showed on Sunday afternoon's game, including the hits he had in Saturday's game, but when he showed on Sunday's game by that home run that he hit, 474 feet, and it cleared the batter's eye in deep center field. 
that shows that the power that man's got. And I think the Pirates don't need to worry about the power that he's got. It's just that the consistency in which he brings that power to the team and the consistency in his at-bats because it's not been a question of whether or not Josh Bell has got power. We all know he's got that. It's It's been been the consistency in the at-bats and the struggles he went through last season. He went from a season where he hit over 20 home runs the year before last to only hitting 12 last season. Well, I personally think that his struggles on defense is actually affecting him at the plate because Josh Bell has struggled at first base. And, uh, you know, with him, where else would you put him? So his struggles sometimes, I think that there's many times that people, if they struggle defensively, then they sometimes go to the plate with that in their mind. Maybe not everybody. Some's able to handle it better than others. But uh, right now, I think that Bell has to uh, continue to do what he's doing and gain some confidence. But no, there's no doubt he's had power. He's had power since he was in the minor leagues. It's a matter, as you just said, being consistent, get the batting average up. If your batting average gets up and you just hit, hit the ball hard, the home runs will come. So again, keeping his mind uh, on both sides of the field, offensively and defensively, and not letting either or affect. You know, so if he's not hitting as well, then don't let that don't go out and take that onto your defensive side of the field and think too much. Uh, early in the year, we we saw some defensive blunders. Uh, the the next game after this four game sweep, we saw Kevin Newman make three errors in one inning. Uh, those are things that's definitely going to have to be cleaned up. Uh, the 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 relief pitching early in the season uh, was less than to be desired after uh, the starters pitched well. Uh, and then uh, they got that kind of cleared up. And then uh, this last game, it's only one game. And that's what we was talking about before, Aaron. You can uh, have a 10 nothing loss and turn it around the next day. That's one thing about uh, baseball is that there's another pitcher going out there and you always got a fresh start every day. So whether you lose 10 to nothing, 20 nothing, or win one to nothing, or lose one to nothing, a win's a win, a loss is a loss. So uh, I'm excited overall. And I think I mentioned on one of these podcasts that I personally believe the Pirates have the starting pitching. If their defense overall and can be consistent and offensively, they just need to stay consistent. But the starting pitching, I believe, is there, barring injuries. Well, and that's one thing that's uh, bothered any Pirates team in the early going has generally been the defense. The pitching has not been a weakness of the last few years for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And one question mark you had going into that series was Jordan Lyles on Thursday. He only pitched five innings. He only had a few strikeouts. He had a few walks, but he limited the base runners and the hits. He was basically pitching to contact to get in the outs that way. I mean, he. I mean, a win's a win is a win. He didn't get the win, but he pitched to win, and he gave the Pirates enough to that, win that ball. Well, that's game. all you ever ask of a starting pitcher is give your team an opportunity to win. You don't have to be a strikeout pitcher to be a great pitcher. I mean, when you look back in the days of the Atlanta Braves and Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, and those those guys just knew how to pitch and knew how to hit the corners, and they're not getting a lot of strikeouts. John Smoltz was the guy that was getting the strikeouts back in that day, but but Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin was pitchers that pitched to contact, and they hit the corners. So uh, Lyles right now, again, I haven't saw a lot of him, but uh, he, he pitched great that day. I mean, yeah, he only pitched five innings, but – um, you pitch the contact and let your defense do what they need to do. So as long as you're not hitting the, the heart of the strike zone, because that's the key. As a pitcher, stay out of the heart of the strike zone. Hit the corners. You know, Get your, your edges. And, uh, 
it looks like right now, I mean, I'm totally satisfied with him being the fifth uh, starter for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I think, again, we have a great starting rotation. And by the way, with Chris Archer being suspended for five games, it's really only one start. Nothing for the Pirates to really get too concerned with. It's not like he's missing five starts. No, he's just missing five games, which is equal to one of his starts. And more than likely, I would assume somebody like a Francisco Liriano or maybe Stephen Brault will step into his spot for that once for that one start. I want to transition and I want to let everybody know and remind them that this show is proudly being brought to you by Brouhaha, Three Guys Fitness and Shortcuts in Morgantown that helps bring you this content and this stuff. If you guys have any suggestions for us, always message me on Twitter at AaronHost97 or the station at 967WKMM. I want to transition now to something that there's a bit of a streak that's going on. The Pittsburgh Penguins own the longest active streak in the NHL in terms of trips to the playoffs when they clinched on Thursday with a 4-1 to victory over the Detroit Red Wings with a 4-1 to victory. They clinched a playoff spot. They didn't find out till Saturday when they played the New York Rangers and they lost to the New York Rangers 4-3 to in overtime. The Penguins, going to the last few minutes of that game, they were talking about, well, if the Penguins don't get a point in this game, they were going to go in and play the Washington Capitals in the first round of the playoffs. The Washington Capitals, by the way, is the defending Stanley Cup champ- champs from last year. So somebody the Penguins didn't want to, fight, uh, to start off fresh out of the fire coming out of the regular season. All they needed was one point to lock up a spot to where they could face the New York Islanders, a team of which they went 2-2 two and two against this season. And now the Penguins scored a goal late. We're sending it overtime. Then the Penguins lost. They really weren't playing for nothing in overtime because even if they would have won, they already locked up a spot with the Islanders. They weren't going anywhere. So that was the first time when I watched the Penguins game. It didn't bother me to really see them lose. I wanted to see them win, but I it didn't bother me too much. Tomorrow, the Penguins, by the way, start off in Long Island facing the New York Islanders at home tomorrow at 730 then on Friday, the 12th, they play Game 2 at 7.30 in New York. Then they come back for Games 3 and 4 on Sunday and Tuesday. Sunday's game being at 12 noon and Tuesday's game being at 7.30, a game of which I'm going to try to see if I can get some tickets to on Tuesday and try to see that one. And then Game 5, 6, and 7 are respectfully on Thursday, that Thursday, April 18th, Saturday, April 20th, and then Monday, April 22nd, all of which are, if necessary, if the Penguins if the Penguins and Islanders need those games 5, 6, and 7. Yes. Kelly, what do you think with the Penguins going into this? I know they, the one thing I've seen from looking at all the scores and watching the Penguins games is goaltending for them is so inconsistent. They'll win one game 3-1, to one, but then they'll lose the next game 5-2. to two. Yeah. Then they'll win the next game 4-1. to one. Like the like the Detroit Red Wings series, they they played a home and a home. They lost 4-1 to one, one day, but then the next day they won 4-1. to one. Well, that's what I've seen all year, especially since I've started talking to you about it since we've been on the podcast, is the inconsistency of the Penguins. And it seems to me that they play better against solid competition than they do against the teams that they're supposed to beat. Uh, why that is, I don't know if it's just letting down the guard, just going in with uh, thinking that they're just going to go out on the ice and, and to win. But uh, basically, I'm just, you're going to wipe the slate clean with everybody. Don't matter what seed you have. Once you get into the playoffs, that's the key. Uh, the Penguins have experience. They've won three 
Stanley Cups in the uh, last how many years? They've won three uh, Stanley Cups within the last 15 years. So, you know, with that being said, again, I used to watch Mario Lemieux and, uh, back in the day in uh, 91 and 92. So five Stanley Cups that they've won. We're looking for that sixth one the same way, again, as the Steelers have six Super Bowl uh, wins. So uh, let's let's get one for the thumb for the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, so, But anyway, I think that uh, they have as equal opportunity as anybody right now, and the Penguins always seem to do well once they hit the playoffs. And we need to get that uh, that championship back for the city of championship since the, in the MLB, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series, and then the New England Patriots also won the Super Bowl. So they're, they're taking that. The Penguins need to get the Stanley Cup back in Pittsburgh. Do I think it will happen? In my bracket, I chose them to win over the Vegas Golden Knights. The Vegas Golden Knights of which have our former friend and Mark andre Fleury, our former franchise goaltender, a player of which I know Penguins fans still have feelings for. I still like the guy. I still honestly wish he was Brad. I still wish he was in Pittsburgh. I would this is this is my personal opinion. I would rather see us have five years of flurry than 12 years of Murray or 15 years of Murray. Because I think Flurry is in his peak, is in his prime, and he is so consistent right now. But then somebody's going to argue with me and say, well, if you look at Flurry when he first started, he was kind of inconsistent like Matt Murray is right now. You give Matt Murray time to mature and come into his own, he may be better than Flurry. They may make me, they, they could make me eat my words. Matt Murray could make me look like a fool in five years. But it's seeing where we were. Just four years ago with Mark andre Fleury to where goaltending is so inconsistent. If there has been one staple in the last 10 years of me watching the Pittsburgh Penguins, it has been goaltending. Your starting goaltender has been a staple and has been a backstop and strong. You could throw out a few uh, few games where the starting goaltender wasn't so good, but normally it was a staple that took us clear to the Stanley Cup in 09, 2016, and 2017. Well, the greatest, greatest thing about a good goaltender, though, is you have a good defense. And so the defensemen have a lot to do with whether or not they're going to get good shots on goal or not. So, uh, you know, the defenders are going to have to do their part to help the goalie out. And, you know, it's a team sport, but uh, you got to have a good goalie, no doubt about it. Um, before we go, I'd like to just say again that the Mountaineer baseball team, Aaron, I know that we're kind of going quickly here to finish this up, but they've won six of their last eight. They've won two out of three in their last Big 12 series against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, both whom were ranked. They started this off with a 15-3 win over state rival Marshall. Uh, they could have easily swept Oklahoma as, as Manoa lost a 2-1 to one game that easily they could have won. I have, happened <clears throat> to get the chance to go to the pit game, which we beat our old rivals pit 5-4. to four. And uh, the Mountaineer baseball team plays tomorrow in Maryland, which would be a nice non-conference game against an ACC school. But uh, they have a big weekend series for anybody that gets a chance to go to Morgantown Ballpark. This weekend they play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday against Texas Tech. Huge series, and the Mountaineers are playing great baseball. They continue to do what they're doing. They could easily possibly get an at-large bid this year, which don't happen often in Morgantown. And I look forward to watching their series, their season as it winds down. By the way, Kelly, I don't know if you know the game you went to. That was a record-setting attendance I saw for that. a WVU baseball game. I saw that and happened to be a part of it. However, a lot of them left by the sixth and seventh inning. Um, 
started getting a little colder. It was a dollar a night, and a lot of the people had kids with them. They had to get them home to go to school the next day, uh, and they missed a, a very good game because the Mountaineers jumped out to a 4-1 lead. Pitt hits a big three-run homer, deep homer, to tie the game. Uh, the Mountaineers score a run in the bottom of the eighth to take the 5-4 lead. There's an ejection. There was three reviews. So it took a lot of time. It was a time-consuming game. But either way, we need those non-conference wins, and especially against our travel pit. Well, and I think, I think the Mountaineers got some momentum going into their game tomorrow against Maryland and then going into their series this weekend against a big, huge foe in Texas Tech. So I think they got some momentum, and they're going to be playing behind a home crowd. It's sure to be busy at Montegelli County Ballpark. I'm hoping to make my way in there for the first time on Saturday and watch the game. So... It's just going to be a big weekend for the Mountaineers. And also, you got Penguin Stanley Cup hockey coming this week, tomorrow. And then you got Stanley Cup hockey this weekend. And then you got Pittsburgh Pirates baseball. So it's a busy time in sports. I know we will not run out of content for next Tuesday's episode. By the way, next Tuesday of ep- next Tuesday's episode, we're going to be bringing in special guest Chris Westfall, who's a DJ here at the podcast, or not here at the podcast, but here at the radio station. And we're going to be talking about the Mountaineers as they conclude their spring practice and what we can expect for the coming football season as Neil Brown enters his first season as Mountaineer head football coach. And also the Mountaineers will be unveiling their new uniforms this Saturday, and I really am excited to see what they are. What they are. I know they said they're going to unveil them during the game, so I'm really excited. It's a lot of big sports interest that's happening right now. A lot of things are happening. Something to always keep your radio, your mobile device, whatever you have, to keep an eye on sports. Remember, you can download this on Apple iTunes, po- Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and listen to it on www.kcountryradio.com. It is free to subscribe and listen to and just hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. And with that, we've come to the end of our time this evening for the eighth edition of the Sports Roundtable. For Kelly Gamble, I'm Aaron Host, wishing you guys a good evening wherever you are. And thank you and good night.